Welcome to the podcast. My name is Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine. And with me today is Carol Rose, Executive Director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. We're talking about immigration, a political, politically explosive issue, and whether Massachusetts communities should cooperate with federal authorities in enforcing immigration laws. Carol, why don't you set the stage for us? Great. Thank you, Bruce. Um, well, you know, since coming to power eight months ago, uh, President Trump and his Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, have launched an all-out effort to indiscriminately deport all 11 million people who are in America without proper papers. Um, deportations in Massachusetts and nationwide actually are on the rise extraordinarily. Uh, in just the first eight months, the Trump administration arrest of non-criminal immigrants living in New England has actually tripled. Uh, and meanwhile, last week, the Trump administration actually issued new regulations to cut in half the ability of people to enter our country legally. Uh, so the key thing that's, this is ripping families apart, it's undermining public safety and community policing here in Massachusetts. And because we in Massachusetts live in relative freedom, we have an opportunity and an obligation to actually do something about it. Uh, and I think that we're uniquely poised to stand up to the Trump deportation machine here in Massachusetts uh, because just earlier uh, this summer, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court issued a ruling in a case called uh, Commonwealth versus Lunn, uh, an immigration case, where the court ruled that it's actually illegal for Massachusetts state and local law enforcement and court officers to hold people on voluntary warrantless federal requests. These are known as ICE detainers. Mm -hmm. um, and because ICE detainers are actually civil and not criminal, criminal in nature, right? They're not criminal warrants for keeping people under criminal law. Uh, they actually exist solely to facilitate the deportation process. Um, but they're also just requests. And that means that legally, Massachusetts can say no to collaborating with the Trump deportation machine. We can say no to ICE detainers. And that's basically what the court ruled in Lund. Um, in response to well, that... Well, just to clarify, didn't the court rule that there is no law cover, co covering this issue? And so, therefore, to detain people in the absence of any authority to do so is, a, is, is unconstitutional. You can't do that. That's right. And it's unconstitutional because what the court really clearly said and what makes it such a historic opinion is the court said that to detain... for. Massachusetts to detain someone on an ICE detainer at the request of ICE is an arrest. And when you have an arrest under our Constitution, all sorts of due process protections kick in, right? Right to counsel, right to uh, know the reason for your being held, right to a speedy trial. There's a, a number of due process protections that keep the government from just locking people up because they don't like them, okay. all right? So in effect, the court ruled it's an arrest. It's in light of that reasoning by the court, it's very hard to envision a situation in which we can hold people on voluntary ICE detainers without giving them due process and have that be constitutional. So in the absence, as the court pointed out, in the absence of any legal authority in this area. Correct. So now that the, the in the wake of that decision, this sort of um, public view has shifted toward Beacon Hill. Right. And there's a number of bills circulating up there to, in a sense, fill that void. Um, what? Right. Give me the spectrum of what the bills are. So there are bills on one hand that would say, oh, let's completely get in bed with ICE. Let's, in fact, deputize our state and local law enforcement officials to just be mini ICE agents. That's the most draconian and the most dangerous to public safety because that's what would drive people underground. People wouldn't go to courthouses or to schools or to hospitals or 
out in public or report crimes or be witnesses in crimes. They would you know, not want to be subpoenaed if they'd been a witness to a crime because they would begin to see the police as nothing more than agents of the Immigration Customs Enforcement Agents of ICE, mm-hmm. um, especially people who've often come from authoritarian regimes or authoritarian countries uh, where the police are really held in distrust. So the real danger of that from whether we're talking about domestic violence victims or uh, people who see who are witnesses to crimes is to really undermine public safety by creating a wedge of distrust between our communities and the local law enforcement. That's why a lot of police departments don't like uh, the notion of them becoming uh, subservient or agents of ICE. So that's the most draconian on the one hand that you have. Um, uh, the governor has put out a bill that would actually say we can can detain people. We're going to detain them. I think that's just sort of DOA. It's just dead on arrival from a constitutional perspective because the court in Lund made it really clear that if you hold someone without a, a criminal arrest warrant, these are not criminal arrest warrants, right? These are civil requests from the federal government. To just hold someone because of a crime they committed way in the past, maybe 10 years ago, right? And they served their time. And now I'm going to hold them because they served their time 10 years ago or five years ago. And it could be for something, you know, even though the governor is saying that his, it's only the worst of the worst, when you actually look at the language of what he's proposed, it would include people who got picked up on marijuana charges or, you know, burglaries, shoplifting, things in the past. So well, well, you that's pretty draconian past, too. Isn't it true that you, they would have to be uh, arrested, right, for some crime? Well, they could be picked up. For some, like a, a broken taillight, they could be picked up for a smaller crime, not the not the worst of the worst. It could be shoplifting or um, smoking pot in public, right? They could pick uh, them up, and then they look at their smoking record. Smoking pot in public, which is legal, com- would be no, no, it's not legal. Actually, smoking pot, not necessarily in public. Let's not use that. Let's say you know they got picked up on shoplifting. Okay. It is a crime, okay? And then they get but released. But it's one of the ones that Baker. But Baker's saying is if you, you, 10 years ago, you committed a different crime, right? And now I pick you up now, I can hold you for ICE. Not based on the crime you've committed now and not based on the crime that you committed 10 years ago that you already did your time for, but because I don't like the crime that you got convicted for and did your time for already. Our criminal laws, Bruce, enable the government to hold people who are dangerous. We have bond hearings for that, right? So if I've picked you up on a new crime and you're dangerous, I can hold you on a criminal warrant. I don't need an ICE detainer request, okay? The criminal laws are already there. There's no such thing as just letting somebody out because because you don't like the crime they committed. Um, You have to hold them if they're dangerous. That's what the criminal law does for us. This is an effort to bring in a new regime of ICE detainer requests to hold people who wouldn't otherwise be held by the criminal laws, right? There's no, the the criminal laws keep the dangerous people locked up if they need to be locked up. ICE civil immigration detainers don't have, they're only there to deport people. There's no dangerous determination. We can't really assume, the notion that we would expect court officials or uh, sheriffs to be the judge and the jury and to decide whether someone's dangerous or not without any due process protections um, is clearly unconstitutional. We have the criminal laws. We should let the criminal laws keep us safe. We should let the ICE immigration laws do what they do, which is deportation. We shouldn't conflate the two because when we do that, we violate people's due process rights under the Constitution. But... Aren't you conflating the two in a bit by saying, uh, you keep referring to the Trump deportation machine, Uh, you sort of, your last comment seemed to imply that you can, ICE can deport people as it wants, but we as a local communities and law enforcement shouldn't get involved with that. 
Right, because we our local law enforcement are there to protect and to serve the communities that they live in, right, to prevent us from rapes and robberies and uh, muggings and things. That's what the job of the local police is, and to solve crimes that have been committed. Right, right. The job of the local police isn't to serve as many ICE agents and to get involved with the and collaborate with the Trump deportation machine because but I guess it's I, a I, different job. I, I, see that, I see your point on that, but the, the context you put it in suggests that... Um, the deportation machine is acting improperly, right? Yes, I think it is. It's just indiscriminately so, ripping families apart. It is um, the thing for people to understand is that most immigrant families include people who might be U.S. citizens, uh, green card holders, undocumented people. It, they're not living alone in isolation. They have families. They have children. They have jobs. They pay taxes, right? They're part of the fabric of the society, uh, whether we like it or not. That uh, that's the reality. So when we say we're going to take a, a you know, Francesco Rodriguez and, and, and rip him apart, even though he's been a janitor at MIT for 10 years and he's paid his taxes and he's been allowed to stay in this country. He fled under an asylum claim because he, there was a death threat. He married a U.S. citizen. He has three children. He pays his taxes. He went into the courthouse to do his regular reporting and they said, oh, now we're going to lock you up and deport you, not because you've committed any crime, but because we've decided we have a new regime in town. Same thing with John Cunningham, the head of the Irish Gaelic Association. The man had been here for 18 years. He had a family. He paid his taxes. He was much beloved. He dared to criticize the Trump administration in the media. He gets picked up, not because he's committed a new crime. So it's important for people to understand that the indiscriminate roundups that the Trump administration has imposed, which is different from the Obama administration. Obama administration deported a lot of people, but they prioritized people. The Trump administration is doing it indiscriminately. Um, and that's really different. And it, the fear is so high that people are afraid to send their children to school. They're afraid to go to hospitals. They're afraid to go to courthouses where ICE agents are hanging out. So we in Massachusetts, as a beacon of liberty, have a real obligation and an opportunity to say, we can't, we won't stop the ICE the federal ICE agents from doing their job, but we are not required to participate. We are not required by law, and I would argue we cannot, under our Constitution, collaborate with them. We can hold people who are dangerous to our society under criminal warrants. We shouldn't hold them under ICE requests. So it, I, it matters how we do it because there are due process protections that come with a criminal warrant that don't exist in a civil ICE detainer request. So that brings up the third uh, piece of legislation, the Safe right. Communities Act. Safe what Communities would that do? Act. So the Safe Communities Act actually addresses a lot of the constitutional concerns that I've been raising and that the court addressed in Lund. It addresses the public safety protections and it also complies with the federal laws so that people don't need to worry about retaliation. So it's really an elegant act. It does that in three ways. I mean, number one, it says we won't deputize our local police to become mini ICE agents. We don't have to. We're not required to. And we choose not to here in Massachusetts. Number two, it says we will give notice. There is cooperation. So this isn't just a pure non-cooperation. There will be notice to ICE 48 hours before someone's released if they have committed a certain group of crimes. That's what Baker's list is talking about. Mm -hmm. That's just notice, though. That's not holding them, as Baker's bill would do. This is just giving notice. So if the ICE wants to come and pick them up, ICE can do so. They can do their job. Local law enforcement does its job. The third thing it would say is that we're not going to have things like religious registries, you know, Muslim registries, the kind of stuff that uh, President Trump talked about in his campaign. 
people can say, well, that's never going to happen here. But you know what? Let's make sure it doesn't happen here by saying no. Uh, and the fourth is it would provide due process protections for people who are held, um, things like translators, uh, you know, just people knowing their rights, some, some sort of basic due process protections. So by doing those really basic things, none of which violate the laws, which all of which respect the Constitution, uh, and all of which enhance public safety by ensuring that we have community trust, it's really an elegant way for Massachusetts to both uh, do the right thing, the patriotic thing, enhance public safety, protect human rights and civil liberties, uh, but also stand up historically and say, we in Massachusetts are a beacon of liberty in this country and in the world, and we're going to act as such. So the 48 hours notice, I, I want to zero in on that a little mm -hmm. bit. Sure. Um, so as I sort of in my head thought about this, and I'm, it may be wrong, was that um, say local police or state police pick someone up, uh, arrest someone on some charge. Mm -hmm. They have all sorts of computer systems. Uh, as everybody knows, when you've been picked up for speeding, they, they take your license and registration and go back and run it through some sort of computer system. Uh, I assume they do that after you've been arrested. Too. Right. And my impression was that that would kick up. whether And ICE would also have access to these sort of systems. So, that, so if someone they're looking for shows up, they get a notification the local police would know that ICE is also looking for this guy. Am I right about that? Right. So okay. once, when there's an actual arrest, right, you go into a database, and ICE has access to that. No one's saying that ICE can't have access to that. Correct. No one's saying that we can't even have it notice. I think it'd be better to only do it in the really serious crimes, not on minor crimes. Uh, but it's, there's a big difference between giving ICE notice, which is cooperation, and actually detaining someone okay. beyond the time. When you lock someone up, due process protections, constitutional concerns kick in. So the line that the ACLU believes we need to draw is not detaining people. And that's what Lund basically says we're going to have to do anyway. So Governor Baker's proposal, I think, is well-intentioned and, and reflects his concerns about public safety. But I think that they're addressed adequately in the Safe Communities Act with the notice provision, and we don't need to actually detain people, lock them up in a jail without due process, because that just doesn't pass constitutional muster. But um, there's a practical reality to it as well, I, I guess, because this notice, as you pointed out, ICE already gets a notice via the computer that someone is in custody over here. And I guess they would ask for a detainer if they can't get there um, you know, before the person posts bail or gets out of jail. Uh, so they, that's when they would sort of say, can you hold them longer? And then it's up to local officials to, de to decide. Well, whether. and what the court said is that's a new arrest. And if you don't have a criminal reason to hold them, that's unconstitutional. I mean, the court Correct, was very, very clear about it. the court said there's no law dealing with that. So if you want to create a law, go ahead and do it. Well, but don't. yes, and no, but when the court defines it as an arrest, that's the dog whistle that says you, due process kicks in. You can't, under our Constitution, you cannot arrest someone without thinking that they've committed a crime, right? And overstaying your visa isn't a crime. So when the court actually said on page three, holding someone under an ICE detainer is an arrest, it, that's basically the same thing as saying, and therefore, if you don't give them due process protections, it's unconstitutional. And, and so I, I think it's, it's the court all but signaled that it's hard to find a constitutional way to hold someone against their will without a criminal reason, a criminal warrant for doing so. Now, you used the word when you talked about Baker's bill, well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. um, some of your colleagues and some of the people that hold the same view have taken a a different approach to it, saying it's racist, uh, they've used 
holding signs saying, don't bring the KKK back to Massachusetts. Um, this is an issue that gets very polarized politically very quickly. Um, it seems to me that Baker's bill is vintage Charlie Baker. He's, he's not way off on the right. He's not way off on the left. He's trying to parse it somewhere down the middle. Uh, his aides even point out that uh, a policy was in place before the court decision, roughly along the same lines as the Baker bill. And they claim it was very close to what Obama, uh, Obama policies envisioned. But that over the course of that period when Baker came in up until this court decision, there had been 40 requests for detainers from ICE and 27 had been granted by state right. authorities or state and local authorities mm -hmm. with no, this was by state police, I just want to mean state right. police, with no challenges, no big uprising well, about that. And I was just Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, first, when I say he's well-intentioned, I'm a, I'm a diplomat. I always assume goodwill on the part of everyone, policymakers and the protesters alike. And I think, um, I don't know what Charlie Baker's motives are, whether they're political. I wouldn't ascribe motives to him that I because I don't know what they are. I will tell you that the policy itself, maybe it's an attempt to look moderate, but in fact, it's not moderate. It's unconstitutional, and therefore, and it's pretty clear that it is, so one wonders if it isn't knowing that it, if it, that it likely wouldn't get passed, and if it did, it would be challenged right away. Uh, it's a way to uh, appear tough on immigrants or tough on crime when, in fact, it just is a violation of people's uh, rights. That, and I think he could achieve the public safety concerns that he may have through the passage of something like the Safe Communities Act or a similar bill that would basically say we can have notice but not detention. But, um, but I guess so let me, but let me, just, just let me finish up on that one. Notice without detention. Notice is already exists, doesn't it? Does it not? Right. And before system? the Lund Act, detention was taking place, and it was, and the court ruled it's illegal, and so the state police had to stop doing it since Lund. So. What was really ironic was while the Baker administration was authorizing the state police to detain people on ICE detainers, the attorney general's office was filing briefs in the court saying that to do so is illegal. So that's pretty interesting that the state's top law enforcement officer, uh, the people's lawyer, was saying that it's, that it's illegal to do so, while the governor was authorizing the police to do just that. That's why we took it to court. That's why we needed the guidance from the court on where to draw the line. And when the court in Lund said very clearly, arresting people on an ICE detainer is an arrest, there is no authority to make an arrest, leaving open the question of whether such an authority might be created. But it's pretty hard to see, and certainly what the governor has proposed as the authority is not a constitutional way to do it, whereas the Safe Communities Act, in fact, enables us to continue to have some cooperation and information sharing and communication between local law enforcement and ICE. It just means we don't hold people in violation of their constitutional rights. It's a pretty clear line, to be honest with you. Um, no, I get the clear line, except I, I don't really see that this 48 hours notice is anything more than just giving them access to your computer system, uh, which well, they have now. Right. So, so, so I mean... It, so it's, it's really... It doesn't address the issue of whether you've got a a dangerous person. No, but the criminal law does that, right? Nobody's being let out. There's no such thing as sanctuary from crimes. There's no one who gets let out if they are a danger to society because our criminal system already gives them bond hearings. In other words, they wouldn't be being let out 
if there was, in fact, a danger to the society. That's what the criminal laws do. Um, that's okay. why we have warrants. I mean, so the protections are already there, okay? So I think a lot of this then becomes a question of turning it into a political football, right? Do we want to be seen as uh, building a fortress America? Are we trying to drive people away? And I would submit that these kinds of policies that try to uh, denigrate and otherwise uh, immigrants in our midst are not only bad from a human rights and civil liberties perspective, they're really bad for our economy. I mean, here in Massachusetts, we rely on immigrants for uh, high-tech innovation and creativity, attracting the best minds from around the world and their business contacts and friends that they bring to our businesses. We rely on them for our tourism industry. I mean, how ironic would it be if people would not want to come to Boston to walk the Freedom Trail because they're afraid of our government? Like, that's terrible. And that is already, people are already not coming to our shores for as tourists and bringing their tourist dollars. We in Boston in higher education. We need international faculty and students to come. I mean, everybody knows that it's those full, the, the students coming from around the world who pay full freight and subsidize the ability of Massachusetts, you know, kids to go to colleges and universities here at a lower rate because they are given subsidies because they're in-state, right, with in-state tuition. Um, you know, we need people to come and, frankly, you know, pick the crops, make the beds in the hotel rooms, uh, take care of the children of the two working families who are, who are having to work and keep our economy buzzing. I mean, the stories that have come out of about the uh, hit to the tourism industry down on the Cape uh, or the crop being picked, you know, down in South Carolina. Um, I mean, this is bad for economics. You know, the, the ironic thing is we have a f relatively free flow of goods and services across borders, and then we've tried to criminalize the labor flows that follow it. It's, it's economically foolish, and it's a policy. It, it doesn't keep us safe. What it does is to scare people. What it does is to otherize people. And that is so bad for Massachusetts in particular because we're this exciting, innovative hub of uh, you know, global commerce and higher education and learning and innovation. We need people from all over the world to want to come to our shores. We're a mecca, and we need to stay that way. And so we, we're also a mecca of freedom. So we have this opportunity to do the right thing. Um, I don't think we need to demonize anyone, not Charlie Baker and not immigrants, right? What we need to do is to stand up as freedom-loving people and just say, let's pass sensible immigration legislation that says we will not violate any laws. We will cooperate to the extent that we should. But we have criminal laws to keep us safe. We do not have to be part of the Trump deportation machine. Carol Rose of the American Civil Liberties Union, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a privilege. And I just want to let our listeners know that she's going to be writing uh, a, a periodic column for Commonwealth Magazine, and uh, I have a feeling the first one will be dealing with exactly with this issue. So to our listeners, please join us uh, next week, and uh, you can always subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Time shakes.